Good morning. Good morning. So, you come often, you know, we switch things up. We normally have communion by this point. <coughs> so, I'm throwing you a little, we're throwing you a curveball for our, our last Sunday. Um, if this is your first time, welcome. It's great to have you. Um, you know, maybe I'll see you one day again in the far future. But, uh, this is my beautiful wife, Kristen, and I'm Mike, and we've had the joy for the last six and a half years. Uh, uh, the opportunity to lead the church here. And so, um, so funny enough, well, not really that funny, but the... Uh, for us, I wanted to kind of show you guys, this is us when we first accepted the job. <laughs> so, you know, like, fully see it, but, but that's us, little baby ballsers, I guess. Uh, I had no gray hair at that point. You can't see it, but it's, it's there. Ryan definitely earned some of that. Uh, but, and obviously, this is... This is us before we leave. I gotta say, uh, Kristen is definitely getting more and more beautiful with age. And, and I don't even mean that in like the, oh, she's getting more beautiful with age. I think she's legitimately getting really more beautiful with age. Um, and so I'm very blessed. But, you know, uh, we've been here a lot and we've, we've grown a lot and it's so much thanks to you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've been through some pretty big milestones here. Both our children uh, were born here, um, and we've had so many wonderful experiences with this church. This is such a special group of people, and there's a ton of things that we love about this group. But um, we wanted to share just a few of them. Um, one thing that we appreciate the most about the Burlington Church of Christ and of each of you is just it's a group of people who are full of perseverance, resilience, and grit. Um, you guys, part of it I think is the Vermont culture, but you guys are just those Vermonters of Christ. You know, just resilient, whether it's through crazy weather, still meeting together, or the ups and downs of life, of that willingness to, to press on and persevere and not quit. Um, I love that in this group there's a dedication to being there for people when they're in need um, and advocating for those who are misunderstood. Um, There's also one of my most favorite things. There's just a willingness to make great memories together by doing things like hiking, uh, getting out in nature, crafting together, or doing just silly team-building exercises at our family group Olympics or other wacky events. Um, Some of my favorite memories are going to be from events like that. You know, so we wanted to speak today of kind of some of the, really one of the biggest lessons we've learned in our time here. And we don't have our clicker, so we're going to, rather than efficiently being able to do it, we're going to be hitting the button. But uh, really, it's, it's the importance and the power of unity we want to talk about. We've learned that it takes, it takes a lot of effort. Um, but unity is truly important to God, and it's critical to the church being able to make the impact on the world that Jesus intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, unity is powerful. A, a unified group can accomplish almost anything. Mm-hmm. Right? But a divided group can accomplish very little. Mm-hmm. You know, Satan knows this. He, his top priority is to keep us disconnected 
Or, even better for him, at odds with one another. You know, God has given us everything we need to maintain unity through the example of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, and the practical guidance of the Word. You know, the Bible is full of scriptures, and so today we're going to be focusing on primarily Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 16. And so, starting in 2, verse 1, if you've got your Bible, you want to turn over there. Give you a second. Chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes this. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. <clears throat> For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on you the day of Christ, uh, in order that I may boast about you on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor for nothing. Um, so our, our points today, we're going to be camping out mostly in this passage, but our three points today are going to be radical unity, radical selflessness, and radical impact. We believe that in our relationships, God desires to see radical unity, radical selflessness, and a radical impact being made on the world around us. In this passage, we see each of these three things. We see that radical unity is really important to God, that it comes from radical selflessness embodied by Christ, And a commitment to each of these attitudes will result in a radical impact as we shine like stars to the world around us. By the end of this lesson, we hope that you'll be inspired by Jesus' example and walk away with a renewed commitment to selfless love that will bless not only your close relationships, but the church and the greater Burlington community as well. So we're going to do something a little different. 
as we're not going to actually take communion at the end. We're going to take communion in the middle. And we're going to, in the middle of our second point, um, we will pass the trays and then we'll bring it back together and wrap things up. So just kind of telling you guys ahead of time. Amen? So, point one. Radical unity. Uh, Philippians 1, or Philippians 2, verses 1 through 2, says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. You know, in this passage, it talks about comfort, encouragement, personal connection, tenderness, compassion. You know, these are all things that anybody that comes into a genuine relationship with Jesus gets to experience. Mm -hmm. You know, when he calls us to make good on that deposit of blessings by being committed to radical unity. Being, being one in spirit and in purpose. Being one in... You know, being one in spirit and in purpose. What does that even mean? You know, I think it means there's no division. You cannot be one and have division among you. Right? And so, who... There's, there's, we're, we're a small enough group and we're going to do this. So, who likes being disunified with the people around you. Ryan kind of does. <laughs> just can throw it out there. He, he purposefully likes like causing, you know, stuff. He, he, he and Katie are awesome like that. In chest. Uh, in chest. But I think it's, you know, no, but really, I mean, why, why do you, of course I had to call you out in my last sermon. Come on, bro. So, <clears throat> but why, why do we not like that? This is a legitimate question. Uh, why do we not like being disunified? Conflict? Conflict? It feels bad. It feels, it feels bad. bad, yes. <laughs> yeah. You feel lonely. What else? Stress. Isolating. Stressful. Stressful, yep. That's the one I do. Awkward, yeah. Mm. It's, it's just, you have all of these crazy emotions that you feel, that we all feel when we're... We're stressed. When I feel disunified with people, mine is the stress. I'm like, oh, I've, got, I've got to resolve that. I've got to deal with that. And I feel so many things. You know, we want to paint a little bit of a picture, um, you know, for what it's like with us. Yeah, like in our house, when we're disunified, it's just almost impossible to feel at peace. You know, there's stress, there's tension, um, short tempers, snippiness, disrespect. Um, things get dropped because we're not on the same page. You know what I mean? Um, and instead of feeling the joy of unity, which is really God's plan for our relationship and all of our relationships, we end up feeling like resentment and like just this weird disconnection. And nobody wants that, right? Besides Satan, I guess. Yeah, I think um, when you think about that idea, it's and of course nobody else has that in their house, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think about it. It's, it's unity takes work. I mean, it takes work. Marriage takes work, obviously. But, but it's not just in marriage. It's, it's really in any relationship. But especially, I think it still matters in the church. Right? Unity takes a lot of work. Jesus intended us to be one, to fight against division. And, you know, it's kind of like, if you want your room to be clean, right, you've got to keep it clean. 
It, it's, it's harder to do it. It's, if you don't keep... If, uh, the same way that your room will get messy, if you don't take time to clean it regularly, your relationships are going to get disunified if you weren't intentional about staying unified. Right? We've got to, we've got to keep at it. Keep focused on it. You know, what God is, is saying here through Paul, through this passage, is that as Christians, we need to be radically committed to unity. Not only will that greatly benefit all of our relationships all around, but we actually bring great joy to God when we are unified with one another. And I think there's, there's some practicals for unity. You know, I think we've got to start by being unified with God. You think of, of Matthew 6, verse 33. You know, it talks about seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. You know, His, his kingdom, right? The people of God, the community of God, but the, the righteousness is right relationships. And these are the things that we've got to be seeking first. Right relationships within the body of believers, within the community of believers, is, is a huge element of just living out God's will for us. You know, but we've got to start with being unified with God Himself mm-hmm. and getting our time with Him. I know Kristen wants to share a little bit. Yeah, so as, as you can imagine, we're in the middle of a big cross-country move, um, but it's also just a busy time of the year with the holidays. We've had big events. We had Women's Day, which was amazing, and Carol's by Candlelight, which was beautiful. Um, but we've had a lot going on, and we have really young kids at home. Uh, which has made having quality quiet times much more challenging than it used to be, um, especially for me. Um, and it has clearly impacted my ability to be unified with Mike and others. You know, when the fruit of the Spirit are all shriveled up, uh, it doesn't make for great relationships. Um, so I, I've really seen vividly over the last few months especially um, that my ability to be connected and unified with my husband, my kids, and with my brothers and sisters in Christ comes directly from my connection to God. Um, I can't just muscle my way through, you know, to having just peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those don't come naturally out of me, especially in times of stress. Um, They come from when I'm connected to the vine, when I'm connected to Christ and connected to God's Spirit. You know, I think of the passage, really, when you think of what it talks about, of Jesus speaks in Matthew 5, verse 23 through 24. He says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. But He also talks about in Ephesians 4, verse 26. You know, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Right? We need to be quick to resolve conflict in the church. And, and obviously, as this is kind of one of the last things we want to share. It's one of the things we've, we've learned. Unity matters. And when conflict doesn't get resolved quickly, it buries bitter roots that can poison a whole tree. Mm-hmm. That poison relationships and damage. And so, <clears throat> God knows what misunderstandings, bitterness, or conflict do when they get left unresolved. It's just going to eat at the relationships, and it's going to cause further disunity. It's the opposite of His plan for us. Mm-hmm. So, he put a number of scriptures in the Bible that just emphasize for us that guys, if there's something there, get resolved quickly. Mm-hmm. Fight for it. It's a pain in the rear. But we've got to fight for it. Amen? Mm-hmm. 
You know, and so I think to recap it, it's, it's looking at this, it's unity matters to God. Unity is not natural amongst human beings. Unity takes work. If we're going to be a unified people, if, if this is going to be, continue to be a unified church, we've got to fight for it. Amen? Unity is powerful. But it takes radical selflessness to make it happen. And that's point two. And I want us to think and look at even Christ's example in this. Let's look at, again at, at verse 3 through 8 here. I'm going to read them again. But it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he found, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, I think Paul continues his call to unity by launching into this, this beautiful passage about radical selflessness. You know, the reason that there's no break in thought here is because unity requires you to be selfless. Mm-hmm. Because you can't be one with someone else if you're not going to say, I've got to put aside my oneness to be one with you. So, selflessness and pride are the enemies of unity. Selfishness and pride, I'm sorry, are, are the enemies of unity. And radical unity can't exist without radical selflessness. You know, it's, it's, easier, it's an easier concept to illustrate than it is to define. And so, let's kind of look at how Paul spells this out. Alright? He, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. You know, God is calling us to have the same attitude of Christ. And then the passage expounds about on what that radical selflessness looks like. It starts as like just reminder of Jesus. He was in very nature He was God. Mm -hmm. You know, this is important because it makes what comes next the more significant. It says, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You know, he was God and in nature God, but he set aside that equality. The expression here used in the Greek is, is interesting because he did not, it refers to willingly waiving your rights and entering into an inferior position than the one that you were in before. And so, when we we look at that, he put, he did not consider an advantage for him to, to keep his position. Instead, he was willing to let go of it for us. Mm-hmm. He put us first. You know, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of, of us. He made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself 
is what this talks about. And so I've, I've described this many times, but this idea to say to empty himself as an infinite being, as God, to put himself as a finite being in Jesus was a sacrifice that we will never understand. And so if he empties himself of, all, of, of the power of being outside of time, outside of space, all of that, he's emptying himself to become nothing. And I've illustrated in the, in the way, sometimes, I'm getting off her notes slightly, so she's like, what are you doing? But I think it's to say, the difference is less, is, is even greater than if you as a human being were to become something like an ant. To empty yourself of your autonomy, of your intellect, of your strength, of all of those, and to become something so much more insignificant and finite, so much smaller, is what God did when he emptied himself to become Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he did that for us. He, he put us first in taking his position and putting us in a greater position for himself. So Kristen wants to illustrate this. Alright, so this, we're going to show a little video in just a sec. This is a video I did share at a Women's Midweek a couple years ago, but it's one of my all-time favorite uh, just real-life examples of someone showing this kind of attitude. So in this video, we're going to see two brothers who are running the, in the World Triathlon Championships, Johnny and Alistair Browley. Where we are going to pick it up, Johnny Brownlee is in first place. He's only um, maybe 100 yards from the finish line. He, if he wins, he gets uh, over $50,000 in prize money, notoriety, fame. It'd be his first championship. He's so close. He's in first place. Um, but what you're going to see is that not too far from the finish line, he's showing signs of having a heat stroke. He's becoming disoriented. Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be able to finish race, the race. But it turns out that his older brother, Alistair, is coming up behind him. So watch what happens. Johnny Bradley may not make the finishing line. He's looking over his shoulder. He is desperately in trouble. Just get him some fluid here. He cannot be helped. I, I don't think I've ever seen this. Let's see if Alistair stops. Johnny Bradley is not going to finish this race. Alistair, come, come, come. He's got him. This, I have never seen this before. Henry Schoolman is going to win this race because Alistair Bradley has stopped for his brother. I don't even know if that is allowed. Uh, you know, this is incredible. I, I don't think he can, but somehow. That is the most incredible thing I have ever seen in a triathlon. Alistair Bradley is trying to get his brother across the line. Coming down the two Bradleys and we Richard Murray on the blue carpet in just a few seconds. This is absolutely insane. Here comes Richard Murray. The two Bradleys are trying desperately to get across the line. Oh my God, Johnny Bradley in second. They'll be third across the line. Alistair Bradley, and then Camario Mola before. That is the most insane last few years. Please show me the past picture. Just one the most insane. the older brother's feet? Two minutes of race that I've ever seen in triathlon. Whether that was legal or not, yeah. the So this is incredible. The older brother could have just, he would have won the triathlon if he had kept going. He would have won the prize money, he would have won the fame, the sponsorships. Um, just, you know, the prize money was 50000 but the sponsorships and things you get are, are hundreds and hundreds of thousands on top of that. 
You know, he could have taken first place rightfully, but he saw his brother struggling and he stopped. He put his brother first. He literally pushed him over the, carried him forward and pushed him over the finish line ahead of him, forsaking the prize. His heart was to make sure that his brother was okay, not to be first. You know, I think when you, you look at this idea that Jesus had the right to leave us in the dust. Mm-hmm. You know, but he instead, he humbled himself. He, he waived his right and his position. He took the very nature of a servant for every one of us. And for me and for you. You know, to him, our spiritual well-being was much more important than him finishing him finishing first in the relationships, right? Elevating us was more important than him receiving what he deserved. You know, in fact, he was willing to forego what he deserved to the point that the king of kings died naked, bleeding, and alone on a cross for us. He, he took a lesser position to help us cross the finish line. In a moment, we're going to take communion. But Kristen is going to just share a moment more and then I'm going to go ahead and pray for the bread of the cup. Just personally, what this means to me and what this shows me or teaches me is in my relationships, I can get really caught up in what feels fair in the moment. I can feel like, well, I've done this or I've done that. Um, And they're not holding up there and they're not meeting me in the middle. So I'm not going to do any more until I feel like they've caught up and it's fair. You know, sometimes even in Mike and I's relationship, I can get to the point where I feel like I don't need to be righteous or respectful because I feel wronged. And like I'll kind of stand there, you know, feeling like I'll I'll reinstate the respect uh, once he realizes how wrong he is. (laughs) Praise the Lord. That was not Jesus's attitude towards us. Right. Um, We wouldn't be here today. You know, what's amazing about Jesus is that nothing about what he did for us was fair. Nothing about what he did on the cross was fair. And his attitude was nothing like ours. He willingly gave up his rights for us to put us first. And I'm inspired and reminded by that radical selflessness um, when we get to take communion. Um, It helps me keep Jesus at the forefront and remember that even though he was brutally and horribly wronged, he responded with righteousness and love nevertheless. Yeah. You know, and that's his radical selflessness. And why I'm so grateful and humble to worship Jesus as my Savior. That he's willing to be a servant and not lord his position over us. Let's pray together. God, we come before you and we give you thanks and praise. We thank you, Lord, that we, we take this bread and we take this cup and we remember that it's just the example, it's just a token of, of our remembering you and what you've given for us. Thank you, Lord, for your love, for your mercy. We praise you, Jesus. It's in your holy name. Amen.
Amen. Hope you were able to connect. Here I think as we, we continue to look at this idea of radical selflessness, selflessness, we see that this, this passage really gives us an idea of how to do that. And we want to talk about some of the practical elements of that. You know, in verse 2, he writes, he said, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In verse 3, he says, uh, he builds on this, there's, there's some unity killers in here. Right? You look at this, there's... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I think it's... it's in verse 2, you look at how he talks about this. He says, your attitude should be the same of Christ Jesus. He talks about how there's radical selflessness, utter denial of self, waiving your own rights to be justified, uh, to be right or justified. And there's one more. And then it's putting the other first before yourself. I mean, this is the example that we see of Jesus. These are the practical elements that we are called to do as well in doing and living the same way. But in, in verse 3, he talks about these things, these unity killers. He talks about selfish ambition and vain conceit. You know, in other words, gaining ground at the expense of another or thinking too highly of yourself, right? You have this self-focus, you've got pride, you have conceit, thinking in terms of me and not we. So as we... Did you want to share something? Um, the passage also gives some unity builders, you know, that humility, the humility of Christ that's willing to connect um, and go above and beyond to connect. Um, that heart of looking not just to your own interests like the brother did for his brother, um, but looking to the interests of others, uh, putting the other before yourself. And I think especially remembering who the real enemy is, you know, the only person who gains from disunity is Satan. Um, but when we are uh, remembering that he's the enemy and not each other, <laughs> and we can make so much more progress. Yeah. You know, I think when we look at it, the pendulum has swung so far sometimes that our instincts can, can be to kind of cut, t- <clears throat> cut ties instead of building bridges. Right? To, to quit on each other instead of uh, striving to persevere, to leaving somebody behind instead of going to them and moving forward. These are the kind of things that unity killers drive us to do. And yet, the, the builders, this passage, is it, it tells us to build, right? in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And, and look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. This is so different from how the world works. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to we need some of these practicals. You know, firstly it's it's remember that humility is it's not insecurity and it's not being a doormat. Okay? It isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Okay. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You don't tear yourself down to build someone up. In Jesus, that's not Christian humility. You have an identity in Jesus. You are, you are an heir of Christ. You should never denigrate that. But it also means you can set yourself aside for a moment to build and lift someone else up. 
That's what Jesus did. You know, pride can blind us and can make us think the enemy is one another. Our brothers, our sisters, our friends, right? When Satan is the real enemy. Even last night at one point, we were, we, you know, we were feeling some, some stress about all the stuff we got going on and in our conversation. And, and I just had to be like, babe, I am on your side. We are a team. Because I was feeling it too. And it just hit me that we're just, we're getting into it. And I'm like, we are a team? We are in this together. And, and it just kind of helped us both click and remember, she is not my enemy. Satan, he's trying to divide us. The world and its ways will try to worm their way and fight their way to divide us. Even as we, we knew that we were coming to prepare and, and talk about this, we could feel Satan's work on us. Mm-hmm. We're on the same team and we've got to fight against that. You know, we've got to fight to see the best in our brothers and sisters. Even if you feel wronged, which may be valid... But we still have to assume the best until you can get the full story. Mm-hmm. And even if we still want to be like Jesus, who knew our worst and knew our worst intentions, and still He served us and helped us and built us up. Amen? He reconciled us. He, he built the bridges Himself. That is being like Christ. Amen? And I think when we do that, we will find that we will make a radical impact. That's point three. Right? When we... And so, let's go ahead and read this. I'm going to read verses 12 through 16. It says, Paul writes, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, which is in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on you the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. You know, when we are radically unified and selfless, we have the opportunity to have an incredible impact on those around us. Shining like stars, this is the type of conduct that lets us stand out in the world. And I think it's just one of the things that I was so encouraged to hear even when we got together for our Thanksgiving thing, you know, Lori's mom sharing. And I think even, and Lane's not here right now, but one of the things that so many people, when they come, what they see in the love in the community we've built. But knowing that it's through that love that we are shining like stars. Mm -hmm. I hope we can take that example out into our daily lives with the people around us. So that they don't just have to come to church to see the light of Jesus mm-hmm. as well. I want to let Kristen share. Yeah, amen. So there's other verses throughout the Bible that echo the same idea over and over. But when we're unified, we shine. Um, you know, think of John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. 
you know, by being like Jesus toward one another, we shine. You know, or if you go all the way, way, way back to the beginning in Genesis 11, 4 through 6, commenting on the Tower of Babel, God sees them working together and says, if as one people speaking one language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. You know, this scripture in Genesis shows us that unity has powerful results even when used towards non-godly means. That's right. Now, the Tower of Babel wasn't to glorify God. Um, but you, you see this in real life all the time. You know, think of championship winning sports teams like the Miracle on Ice Olympic team or the groundbreaking collaborations that have given us the International Space Station. You know, if that much can be accomplished by people who have a common cause, how much more can we do when we use unity to advance the kingdom of God, uh, to bring him glory? You know, the most important and worthwhile causes ever. You know, I really believe that Jesus and the apostles knew this, and that's why they spoke so, so much about the importance of unity and what to do if we're struggling with it. Yeah. So I think the question becomes, how can we use unity and selflessness to have a greater impact on the world? Because the reality is, isolation and being individualistic are the norms of Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, that is where it's at. It's, if America is that way, but Vermont is definitely that way. You know, I, I think there's... I'm going to step off for just a moment. I, I've said this many times when people ask me, when they're like, oh, what's Vermont like? I said, Vermont is amazing, and I love it. And they're like, well, what are the people like? And I say, the people are great. They're, they're kind, like they're generally, they're, they're like, oh, you need help, they're hardworking, like you break down on the side of the road, someone will stop and help you, you know, you go to your neighbor, you need something, they're like, yes, I'll, I'll definitely, I want to help you, and, and they're friendly like that, but there's this, it's almost as if you try to make this emotional connection, and then it, you get a stiff arm. That there's this, you can come so far, and that's it. I am me, that's your space, this is my space, do not come into my space. I'll help you, and I'll come over and, and help you with this, but please don't come in to my space. That is the world that should not be disciples. Mm-hmm. Our hearts should be to welcome and to, to be those that are trying to build that bridge, to span that gap, right? When, when we're being like that, we're... When we are, are being the type that says, mm, you know, I, need, I need my space and, and my distance and, and this or that, there's an element that that's, we're just blending right into the world. That is not shining like stars. Having, a thriving, having thriving and unified relationships, especially long-term ones, is so uncommon. And, and it only comes through a commitment to say, I will be selfless, I'm going to fight for selflessness. I'm going to fight for unity. I'm going to fight to give my heart to people and let other people in and, and get close to me. Those are the things we need to fight for. You know, when we're choosing radical unity, choosing radical selflessness, it will stand out and draw people to God because the ability to be a bridge builder to having shining relationships comes from God, not from ourselves. You know, it's not something we can just muscle our way into. It is something that comes from God's Spirit bearing fruit in our lives. Mm -hmm. 
So in conclusion, we hope that this passage has inspired you as much as it inspires us in studying it. We have both felt called higher to choose uh, felt called higher to choose unity and selflessness in our relationships with one another and with all of you. You know, we felt that we've been inspired about the way that God has used the ways that God can use us for his glory when we live here in Vermont and shine like stars. Um, as this significant, very significant and wonderful chapter of our lives here in Vermont comes to a close, our prayer for you really is Romans 15, 5 through 6. And uh, we'll read it right now. It says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ so that with one heart and with one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We love you all. We thank you so much for how you've loved us back. And we truly have already seen the impact that this church has made on the community but believe that it's going to grow more and more. Um, The more we're unified, the more that God can work through us. And uh, we're really excited to hear the news about how he continues to work through this church. Guys, I um, I tear up when I read this passage because it fit. It's fitting, you know. All the more in our absence, I pray for you that you will strive and fight and remain a unified people that shine like stars. I pray that you will be bridge builders, you know, and not silos standing out in the fields in Vermont, (laughs) but the people that help span the gap and bring people into the kingdom and love people the way that God loves you. We love you. Amen. Amen.